Hey, Kevin, do you ever think we should do cold opens for our episode? I mean, we've we've done a few cold opens, right? Maybe two. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think we should. Okay, me either. Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. It's not stand-up comics or or or. That's the only other kind. Comic strips. Comic strips, yeah. Though, or, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I guess we might cover it someday. But generally, it's comic books. Uh, this is the only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like. And that thing is comic books. I'm one of the aforementioned brothers slash co-host slash kind of comedian slash lifelong comics fan, Will Hines. I'm the other one of all those things and more, Kevin Hines. And uh, we are here with another Mutants and Mailbags episode. We've decided that we're going to wrap up covering the Mutants at issue 200. Maybe we'll go one or two beyond that. I, I forget what happens around that, but we're we're probably going to stop at 200. I think we're going to stop right at 200. Um, yeah. We we are now firmly in the era that maybe you don't remember these. I do. You co- I, you collected and have and owned these. So while I had not read the issues, at least the three we're covering today. They were in our long boxes in our closet in your bedroom. I do. Remember so I had them. access to them. I could have read them. You definitely read them. And I definitely read some. I started reading X-Men on and off. Like there's a upcoming Power Pack crossover before 200 that I for sure read because I was reading Power Pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I definitely read Fall of the Mutants and a few other things. So I probably I was probably close to starting to read New Mutants. So that's one reason I started first. That's one reason for us to stop covering it. We're we're now you know we have officially filled in the gaps of our collective Heinz brother X Men knowledge, but also we've just done it for over a hundred issues, and it feels like yeah, we we have now covered this more than anything else we've done on this podcast. So yeah, it's definitely time to move on. We're getting contacted by people who are just like ah. Oh, I love issues like 250 to 300. And I'm like, well, there's always going to be somebody who loves the next batch that we're not covering, unfortunately. So at some point, I mean, we're not going to read all of it. Okay, we'll do it. We'll read all of it. You're convinced? Every incarnation. Oh, man. Um, No, so uh, we don't know what we're going to do next, but uh, we're going to wrap up our mutant stuff. So if you got email to send us to correct us on all of our opinions, please send it to... Uh, screw it comics at gmail and tell us what's wrong with everything we're saying right, yeah maybe, so this, maybe you agree with us too let us know if says, you agree with us so we've got this we have this episode and then two more mutants and mailbags and then we'll have another uh something that we probably pair with mailbags as well as like our general mini seasons where we kind of cover something a little more in depth don't so worry like, it'll still be impossible to know what we're that's doing right next. I, th- I feel like we're doing better at keeping it yes contained but not yes. great not great. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not good. Just better than we were um, at some earlier uh, this year. That's right. And then we'll occasionally do our crash courses where we talk about things far too many comics that we haven't really we don't have any beat on. And we'll talk about those like we're experts and yep. occasionally interview people and ask them questions that uh, are obvious to anybody who is a big fan. Plus, we get screwed. We're just going to talk about war games, our sub podcast. Yeah. We get a sub podcast. I would I want to get like. um would be like a huge get i want to get like scott Matthew snyder Brown. who had like a long run on batman and just say like now batman's secret identity did you pick that like things <laughs> like that and just like show our total our total inability <laughs> to ask hard-hitting or interesting or illuminating questions yeah 
Yeah. So Alfred, he knows Bruce Wayne, right? <laughs> yeah. What are they? What are they like cousins? I don't get yeah. what's that relationship. It's unclear to me. Yeah. It's never I, been I, I skimmed through uh, Batman 86. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Did you write that one, first of all? Yeah. And uh, who's this Alfred guy? What's his deal? Where's Batmite? Yeah, we're big Batmite fans. We got into Batman through Batmite. Uh, my son just became, he just got a, a Super Pets graphic novel that I think is inspired by the recent movie that I have okay. not seen, and nor has he. And Mixoplex is the villain of that. So he's talking about Mixoplex to me all the time. <laughs> and when I told him, about saying his name backwards. He's like, that's how they get rid of him. It was like, <laughs> he's always amazed when I know something about comics, even though I've taught him almost everything he knows about comics. Um, well, I refuse to acknowledge that your son exists or cool, even cool. say anything that, that um, about him. Um, as was pointed out by a reader, and I'm going to stand by that. We're going mm-hmm. over issues uh, for the Uncanny X-Men today. We're going over issues 192, 193, and 194. Is that right? That's right. And so since and 193 uh, is a double sized 100 issues since the new X-Men, right? Is that what it is? Yes. Uh, if, you, if it counts like if you like 94 was the first regular series issue that had the new X-Men, but giant size X-Men preceded that preceded it. So like they're kind of saying that they're not counting annuals. Not counting annuals, but yes, counting giant sized and not counting crossovers with new mutants and Wolverine miniseries. Yes, or Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler miniseries. Or Magic miniseries, Eliana. El- yeah, so, but somehow this is roughly where 100 issues since it all started. And yeah. I, I vividly remember issue 193. In fact, in our world-famous interview with Chris Claremont, I actually asked him about that splash page. I was like, isn't there a, some issue where it was like Thunderbirds or Banshees walking along and having a good day? So, of course, he gets nailed. And then Thunderbird kicks him in the head. He was like, I don't remember. I was like, okay. And that was he the end of it. Let's talk about my run on Fantastic Four. <laughs> so, um, and uh, so I, I definitely do remember reading these, I guess is my point. Yeah. And um, do we have any other business? Oh, yeah. So I want to, uh, uh, our, in our regular segment where we talk about uh, uh, Disney Plus stuff, I just want to say that uh, I've caught up on She-Hulk. And, um, well, though, actually, as of today, I'm, I'm, I'm one episode behind, but, uh, I, it is charming me more and more. I was kind of exhausted when I watched the pilot and just sort of not, you know, perhaps unfairly not into it, but it, I am starting to find myself really looking forward to the new episodes. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, and I don't, I can't, I mean, I can't, I can't argue with people who don't like it, I guess, you know, it's, uh, it's subjective. It's subjective. You don't like it. Right? You don't like it. Yeah. But, um, uh, I enjoy it, and I and I think it's fun and charming and good. And I and I don't I don't completely get people who don't like it. I guess, it, uh, in the sense that like, I guess I don't know what some. I think sometimes people have expectations and let them affect. I, I guess that's always true of everything, right? It's like I wanted it to be this, so now I can't judge what it is fairly. Like I don't know. Like it I wanted Knives like- Out to be. This is not a complaint I ever heard about Knives Out, but I wanted Knives Out to be like really serious mystery, and it was too quirky and funny. Yeah, and like, well, then you're never gonna like that. That's not what that movie was. I, I guess that's true of anything where there's popular source material, right? Mm-hmm. Like Tolkien things or Game of Thrones. Like anybody yeah. who's read the previous version of something, they're they're invested in something in their head, and so 
I'll, this is I've made this observation before. I'll, I'll say it again. I think what's interesting about the just insane amount of superhero content that we now have on TVs and movies, TV shows and movies, um, it is it is a lot in terms of quality. It's a lot like it was reading comics in the eighties. Like most comics you read in the eighties were fine. You know, it was rare when you came across one that totally crushed. I mean, it was also pretty rare where one was a stinker. That would happen now and then. But, you know, you, you bought your Marvel. Com- I'm thinking of Marvel comics, especially. You bought them and you, you enjoyed them. And now and then, Born Again by Frank Miller, Dave Mazzuchelli came along and blew you away or Watchmen. But most of the time, it was like it was like kind of standard fare Avengers issues, uh, yeah. you know, or, or Iron Man. And it was like, yeah, these are good. I think the floor is higher than that, but that's just my opinion. I think like, and, and some of that is like, there's still less of it than there were of Marvel comics, even in the eighties. But I find that the floor, like if the floor is the black widow movie, or uh, if that's like the, uh, I don't know if that's the complete floor, but if that's like the average bottom floor, like there's a few maybe that are way lower, but like most don't get lower than like, I'm, I'm picking that. I like uh, black widow. Thor, Thor uh, two is getting kind of, yeah, I haven't seen Thor 2 hard yet, and so I don't know. I'm sorry, not Thor. Thor, Thor 3, Thor, 4. Thor 4, actually. <laughs> Thor 2 of the... Uh, Takia. Uh, Takia movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, and, like, l- some l- people l- didn't l- like Eternals. Some of it is, I think people mock it, but it's like, it is superhero fatigue, right? It's just like, oh, what's new about this? It's like, I don't know. What's new about most action movies? Yes, exactly. Like it is the same genre and there is a, there's just a couple of formulas that sort of happen a lot. If you're going to have a yeah. super powered being as your good guy at the center of the story. I mean, and, in that sense, I do think She-Hulk and to a lesser extent, Miss Marvel were the furthest they've stepped away from those formulas. Moon Knight too, right? Like Moon Knight had, uh, the the Disney Plus TV shows seem to be efforts to do new, at least new um, feelings, like the general mm-hmm. tone of the TV shows are a lot different than the movies are. Like Moon Knight compared to WandaVision, compared to Falcon and Winter Soldier, compared to She-Hulk. That's, yeah. pretty, that's a pretty wide gamut of like tone. Falcon and Winter Soldier was probably the most like a Marvel movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, yes. And the rest are at least trying to do something a little different, even Hawkeye. Uh, was actually probably pretty close, but it was sort of lighter fare and like a little sillier. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, they're taking advantage for some of these of not being like huge, yeah, world-ending, you know, problems. Yeah, you know, it's just like, oh, I gotta, I, you know, gotta save these people. It's not like save the planet type stuff, which is nice. Um, I also just want to take us out of the comic book realm briefly, Kevin. I saw a movie last night in the theaters, and it was called Jaws. Have you heard of this movie? I've heard of Jaws. It's the one about uh, Batman's <laughs> butler. Nope. Nicknamed Jaws. No, no, no. You have that. He's got uh, teeth. He does. Batman's butler does have teeth, but he's not. Yeah, that's Jaws. why they call him Jaws. Nope. No one calls him Jaws. Um, it was the original shark movie, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. They're they're doing a 3D release. I went and saw it. It was only the a second three three D release of the original. Yes. So it's not oh. the Jaws 3D, which was the third movie. This which time it's terrible. personal. Right. This is um a 3D like whatever right. version. This time it's not personal. This time no one cares. <laughs> this time it's just a happenstance. <laughs> this this time every decision is coincidence. Uh, great movie, right? You liked I just, it? Yes, and I, I just forgot how good it was. I mean, I knew it was good, 
but it's one of those movies where the big moments are so iconically famous. Like we're going to make a bigger boat and there's a handful of those, but every little moment is good. There's like so many little character moments and moments of tension. Uh, It is so exciting and great. And I, I, I'll tell you, Kevin, partway through, I was like, is this Spielberg's best movie? And it can't be, I think Jurassic Park or ET or maybe another one. Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. But like, boy, is it, it's got to be one of his like or most well-made saving Ryan. He's got so many great movies. I know Spielberg's I know. an unfair person. He's got probably like 10 best movies. Yes, I agree. But um, most directors, that's probably not true for you could uh, make a good argument for this being. His yes, best I think film, that's though. true. Like that's not, you couldn't make an argument for close encounters of the third kind being his best movie or the terminal or something or catch me. If right, you can. Right. Uh, although catch me if you can is a delightful film. Or Jurassic park Two. Right. But like, Jaws, I don't know if somebody wanted to, yeah, to, to. I think and people have. People for sure have said that's his best. There's something economical and great about it. And uh, boy, was it just, it's so much fun to watch a good movie. And uh, about the superhero fatigue, it is difficult for a Marvel TV or movie property to have that kind of impact. Because yeah. I don't know why, because it it can't vary from the story that much. I mean, it's also weird. Like Jaws was like the birth of blockbusters in a way too, right? It like changed all movies in the sense that Jaws was sort of like this sort of mainstream, big, huge hit that sort of like became like the staple of summers where it's like, it probably wasn't the first one, but it's often cited as like the start of like like every summer has four or five blockbusters now. Yeah, I feel like Jaws and then Star Wars two years later was like the one-two punch that cemented the blockbuster forever. And it's just like every summer at the back now, it's like every week there's like two blockbusters. But for a while, it'd be like, oh, there's like four or five blockbusters every summer. And some of them will be great. Some of them will be stinkers. But like that's when they come out. And Jaws sort of changed that where like these movies started. It's almost like baseball now where they talk about these hitters who are just trying to hit home runs. Like obviously home runs were always good. But now like with launch angle and the way they play the game, it's like they're like, if I don't hit a home run, it's basically like that's not what I was trying to do. Getting yeah. on base is not my goal anymore. It's to hit this home run. And like blockbusters are that. And blockbusters are now a year-round thing where it's like, oh, if you know Thor 18 doesn't make more money than Thor 17, we have failed. <laughs> Instead of just being like, let's just make a fun little movie. Well, it was interesting. One of the million interesting things about Jaws is the ending sequence where they're going up against the shark. This this is related to Marvel. Whoa, whoa, movies. whoa. Shark. Yeah, there's a shark in Jaws. No idea. I thought it was a beach movie. You've got to you, I think you're not remembering this movie, right? You've I watched I watched a couple of scenes and they were all you just got, hanging out on the beach and then I'll yeah, move really go into the kitchen. <laughs> you didn't get the gist. The kitchen's <laughs> right. really the least important part of this movie. The beach. No, I would go into the kitchen. Oh, I would okay. go into the kitchen and I'd come back and they'd be like on the beach again or on a boat ride. And I'd be like, this is a boat cute ride movie. is not a good description of what they were on. But at, in the ending right. sequence, I had when it muted too. <laughs> going up against the shark, uh, the stakes are emotionally as high as possible. Like your heart's racing. It's like one of the most exciting endings of a movie I've ever seen. And I was thinking like the world second doesn't have to, to end here. Second to war games. Second to war games. Distant second. Um, Jaws yeah, the world, is, the world Jaws is not going to end if they didn't kill the shark, right? Um, but it feels like it, like emotionally. And it's yeah. just like, and the and the shark is terrifying. And, and I was like, oh, just... I don't know. Is there a way to have a Marvel movie feel like that without having a shield heli carrier crashing into the Mount Rushmore or whatever? Mm. You just <laughs> got hired to write a new Captain America movie. <laughs> anyway, 
I just got a text from Kevin Feig. He's a- Kevin's, Kevin, it's weird how Feig listens to us as we record yeah, the podcast. He's got a live, we give him it's a live feed to our podcast. Yeah. And he texts us during. Just, he should- wants you to write, he wants you to write the screenplay for Captain America 5. Mount Rushmore goes down. That's what his <laughs> working title, he says. Mount Rushmore. I'm going to tell fallen. him you pass. I'm going to tell him you pass on that. That's our Enforcers movie. The Enforcers, Mount Rushmore has fallen. Like South Dakota <laughs> has fallen. Yeah. Um. So anyway. they, gone, they went to North Dakota for that one. They just like, we can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Ox. You were in charge of the map. Duh. <laughs> Lots of duh when I write Ox dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to lasso that Rushmore and pull it down. I'm going to take Mel Blank voices of like animals and stitch them together to make Ox's voice. Okay. So, all right. I'm ready to talk about comic books. Um, uh, is, should we do it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about some, let's talk about some X-Men on this mutants and mailbag. So issue uh, 190. What do you think of these? What do you, what do you think of these three issues? Well, I, I enjoyed you them. You hated all. the last three. You detested I, them. I was really off on the last three. I, I, you know what? Detested is unfair, but I was down on them for sure. Uh-huh. I was fed up. And because of that, I was rolling into these issues, ready to be mad. And I really enjoyed them. I found them to be really fun. Somehow the stories felt more contained. The endings felt good. There was just a bit more logic to it. 193 did kind of spiral out, but it was a double issue celebrating an anniversary. It felt like more, you know, appropriate to have tons of guests. So and there was yeah. more X-Men in it. There was less New Mutants and less <laughs> Spider-Man. So I like that yeah. too. So I, I, I will really say, it. I will say, I like these two, but I will say they do suffer to a lesser extent the same problem where like these are plot lines that did not start in X-Men comics. These are villains that were established elsewhere. These are characters yes. that were established elsewhere and never mentioned in Uncanny X-Men. Yes, I do still. And they, they show up and they're yeah. sort of like, you're expected to just know who Empath is and Magus is. Uh, I, I really dislike that. I really just think there's something arrogant about that. That might not be where it's coming from, but it just feels like you, the reader, don't matter to, to just an unnecessary degree. Yeah. I mean, so, sometimes Stan Lee could go a little nuts with his like, Dr. Strange, that's not his real name for the story. Go to or whatever. Yeah, but that is his real name. But... It is. Yeah, that wouldn't make sense. Stan wouldn't say that. But um, but like. Yeah, I'm just sort of like Claremont. You're just you're weird. You're totally weird. Um, but there are lots of things with these stories I like, and I'm and I and I'm ready oh, yeah. to to mention them. So I like I liked them a lot issues. more than the last I, ones. I like these issues. I like the last three. Uh, a lot of that is Ramita's art carrying it for me. He's such a great storyteller. But yep. and I'm I was already pre-aware of Magus and Empath because I had read some New Mutant stuff. So I was more connected with this than I was with Kula and Goth and you know, all the, and Magma's relationship with uh, Rachel, but uh, um, it still irked me, especially since we had talked about it. It was very um, on, my on mind. your mind. Yeah. Well, let's talk about 192. 192 is the X-Men versus Magus. And this is Magus is the father of Warlock, who is a new mutant. New who's mutant, not in this comic. Who's not in this comic, but Warlock is a alien life form who is basically a mach- sentient machine. And the way he feeds is he takes a living creature could be an animal or a plant, turns it into a robot version of itself, drains its energy. But Warlock is good. He's basically like a vegan. Like he won't hurt, you know, he's a good guy and he he doesn't use his powers for evil, but his father, Magus, is evil. And in Warlock's race, as I recall, you are required to murder your father in order to survive. And Warlock refused to do it. 
So Magus has come to Earth to basically punish his weak son. To kill his son. To kill his son, yeah. So kill or be killed. The father is happy to live with that. And so um, we are seeing kind of a repercussion of that as the X-Men face up again, or Magus arrives in this issue. And so the X-Men fight. Yeah. Also, Nightcrawler is in charge now. I don't remember when that happened. It happened in this issue. Oh. I think. I think maybe it had been mentioned briefly before when Storm like got on the boat that Nightcrawler was going to be in charge. But this is the first issue where it really is in play that Nightcrawler is now in charge because Storm has left and Cyclops isn't on the team. And 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 I, well, I think it's interesting the way they play it through these three issues uh, is that it's weirdly refreshing that he's not great at it. That is that's one of the things I do like, like just not everybody is automatically good at that job. Like Storm was and it was great that Storm was great at it. But also it's like Cyclops was great at it. And then Storm was great at it. Now it's like, well, they're both gone. Who's in charge? I guess Nightcrawler. Yeah, he's fine. He is the best choice. Yeah. Uh, and they even sort of mentioned that Kitty Pride might be better if she wasn't so young. Yeah, she, doesn't, she doesn't quite have enough experience. Yeah. But like Wolverine can't do it. Colossus can't do it. And I think they're right. Nightcrawler is the best option of this team at and this I point. Do, and I think Kitty is the second choice. I, I would yeah. put Kitty be my next choice. And like later on, I can see Rogue, but not at this point. She's not even close to ready. And she was their enemy like not long ago. Yeah. Um, Uh, So I think that's interesting that he's in charge and that he's not great at it. And it's classic Claremont that he's beating himself up about it and was sort of trying to talk him into it. But um, I mean, he's right. He's not that great at it. He's just he's doing okay. He's doing his best. uh, Also, Rachel Summers has become like a really regular character of the team here. This is. The, the daughter of Scott Summers and Jean Grey from an alternate timeline. Who, yeah, the, the lineup has changed very interestingly, even though I think of Rachel and Rogue as like long-term X-Men. They've been on the team, so she, like Rogue has been on the team not that long, but she feels like a vet now because with, with Storm and Cyclops gone and Rachel yeah. joining, and even, and even though Kitty preceded Rogue, she's such a kid that it just feels like, oh man, thank God, goodness Rogue joined the team. Yeah, need her power. She's so powerful. I mean, she's got the uh, Carol Danvers power. Um, and then um, she has whatever she can absorb, which is used to great effect two issues from now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this issue, they start like training, like Nightcrawler sort of training with them. And it kind of goes mediocre. <laughs> Nightcrawler tries to kiss Rogue. Great leader choice. Great, great move by the leader. Yeah. Uh, to kiss one of your team members and also the one that can't touch skin to skin. Yeah, which is like a clumsy way to remind the reader of Rogue's powers, right? Why'd she get yeah. so mad? Nightcrawler says to Colossus. And he's like, oh, of course, because she's probably never touched anybody, which yeah. is not something that you would forget. It would something you would never. It'd be like talking to Cyclops and being like, oh, why'd that uh, rock bounce off your arm? Oh, right. You're made of metal all the time. Uh, Colossus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I say? What, Wolverine? Cyclops. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying uh, yeah, so yeah, hard yeah. to not call everybody Wolverine truly. Um, um, yeah, but like just like forgetting someone's power, it's like that's the main thing we know about these characters is their powers. Yeah, so like uh, they do a little training sequence. They're not playing baseball. They're not ripping trees up. They're not in the danger room. Yeah, uh, but then Magus has arrived, and so pretty soon they get into that. They get into fighting Magus. Like they they know the story of magus it is not recounted here for the reader so you, you know, just kind of have to know we don't get told it yeah um i i always really dug warlock and magus in the new mutants comics especially with bill Sinkevitz's art 
it was just really creepy and strange and uh it it kind of I, I was he was one of my favorite x characters frankly and it was strange to the whole like having to kill your father like that felt like such an interesting sort of heightening of becoming a man and warlock refusing to do it i i always felt a lot of sympathy for the for the goodness of warlock i always thought he was a really intriguing character yeah um so i'm kind of psyched to have a warlock story even though it's not in his home book not it's not yeah. warlock but the warlock mythology uh and romita jr on our uh doesn't quite take this character to like the crazy levels that's in cavitz would but um still, I, I love romita's art i think he looks great like he, he still does. has like a, a chaotic feel to him but he's got the power of a john romita character at the same time which works for magus of course the ge- the general story here is they fight Magus enough that Magus decides that they he respects them and walks away and lets it be a draw and he just continues on in his quest to find Warlock. Right. Um, and that's it's there's kind of no re- resolution to that. Nope. Uh, and then and then at the very end, Professor X gets beat up by some people on the street. Yeah, the whole like anti mutant thing is really ramping up a lot, and so there's some anti mutant people near Columbia where professor X teaches and they, they, he's a celebrity and famous for supporting mutants. So they beat him up for that. And I think he freezes their arms temporarily at one point, but then gets hit with a brick. And so they realize he's a mutant and they beat him up even more. Mm -hmm. And so we're left with him beaten to a bloody pulp on the ground, going into a double sized issue. Right. Um, Um, I mean, also John Romita jr. I mean, artists at this time were great about this too, because I feel like Byrne was also good about this. But like, he has very few fill-ins. Now he's doing a double-sized issue, just like this guy. And it's not like his work is bad. He churns out great work, and he's doing extra work all the time. I love it, man. You you forget how much speed. I mean, as a reader, you forget how much speed is like an essential part of being a good comic book artist. Like, yeah, you got to be good, but you don't have a ton of time. You got to be able to just kind of do it. Yeah, this sort of precedes the time where, like, and I don't necessarily even think McFarlane had this initially, but, like, the artists like McFarlane, where it became art, became such a big selling point that these artists, I'm going to compare it to baseball again, but the artists got so good that, like, they're like, my art has to be better and better and better. And so then sometimes they're doing, like, six issues a year instead of 12 because they had to get, they had to, like, get it perfectly right. Sort of like pitchers now have to throw 100 miles per hour so they can't pitch nine innings. Where it's like, oh, it would have been maybe better to pitch nine, 90 miles per hour and pitch nine innings. But like, no, we got to every pitch has to be the best pitch I've ever thrown. So same thing here. It's like every issue needs to be the best issue. But at this time, it was still like consistency was almost more important. And yeah. if you're good, that's a bonus. Uh, well, the art does look great and he's putting it out at an impressive rate. Um, issue 193 is a double issue. Uh, I won't summarize the whole thing because I can't well, but I think one of the main aspects is it features a kind of return of Thunderbird, the character who died in the third ever issue of the new X-Men. Which I think is a really good idea for a hundredth anniversary of the start of X-Men. Yes. This, this like crazy cataclysmic event that happened right when Claremont was basically starting the book. It's kind of a return to that. Now it's not the real Thunderbird. It's Thunderbird's younger brother. So as you know, Younger brothers of people, that's always like a we root con- for consolation prize. Oh, oh, sorry. Well, I guess we had different reactions. This guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're just sort of like, who cares, right? It's kind of like, yeah. well, we'll settle for this. 
And I think Proudstar was, he comes from, I think, a New Mutants issue because he's from the, uh, um, whatever you call it, the, the Massachusetts, the Massachusetts school. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the, the, all, the, Frost. the opposite number of the um, New Mutants. Yes. So, um, and I don't think he's called Proud Star yet. I think he's still calling himself Thunderbird. He might be. Yeah. He's got a different name now, too. I forget what that is, too. So, but his return to the X-Men is kind of like echoing his older brother's death. And that that's kind of one of the signature parts here. But it's basically like Thunderbird and Roulette and Empath have come from the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to fight the X-Men. Yeah, I, I I guess that what I like about this guy coming back is like he died like a few issues in. So he's like, this is a founding member of this era of X-Men come back to haunt them. Yeah, it's a cool like, other idea. than other than Jean Grey, who didn't die sort of quickly she and she was also preceded the all-new x-men this is the first all-new x-men to die basically right so it's kind of cool that it, it, this comes back to haunt them a little bit uh mm. yeah so the, the one of the things that this issue is there's a lot more characters this is one of the lots of characters issues so you kind of have to just get there's roulette and empath and firestar firestar who originated in amazing spider-man and his amazing friends Yep, on the Saturday morning cartoon show, but now she is an evil mutant. But then she was sort of was brought into the comics because she was so popular because of kids. Uh, there's also Roulette. What does she do? Cause bad luck? I guess she does, but luck. I, I'm not 100% sure. Empath sure is really evil. He can sort of affect people's emotions. I remember being said later, it's even hinted at in this issue, is that he can't totally make you feel something you're not feeling at all, but he can grow a feeling that you have. So mm -hmm. if somebody thinks he's cool, he can amplify that into sort of hero worship. If you're a little scared, he can amplify it into panic. Yeah. But he most people have a little hearts. bit of everything. So that gives a lot of wiggle room. Yeah. A lot of wiggle room for the, for the writer here, but he's totally evil. He looks like an eighties bad guy, you know, you know, rich guy in a John Hughes movie sort of jerk. Um, we also have, Kitty Pride in the costume that I associate her with, which is her baggy sleeved blue jacket look. Yeah, very mid 80s. But this is the costume she would wear. Oh, she was wearing a mask in this issue, which she does, she loses at some point. But this is the costume she'd wear in Excalibur, where I would read a lot about her adventures. I would call this costume very like Blade Runner slash Mad Max. Like it looks kind of like the future as seen from 1985's point of view. Yeah. I can't help but love it because it's just that's the costume she had. I love it, too. I, I do like that the X-Men's men and women co costumes are usually not like sexifying. Mm -hmm. um, they're 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 sort of they got style separately from that, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, Kitty Pride is also she's back from her miniseries and it really it really helps the stories when Kitty Pride is here. Her energy really helps the tone of the series. Wolverine's energy is essential. Also, Wolverine, I mean, Kitty Pride. Um, <laughs> yep. I'm doing it on purpose. Very you fun. It. You got it. Uh, uh, Professor that, X had been rescued by the Morlocks. And so he shows back up in like Morlock clothing, leather gear. Yeah. That's a um, fun little sequence. There's also a sequence here where there's a danger room training sequence and uh cannonball is the captain of one team kevin your favorite character ever yeah cannonball yeah the most powerful mutant in the world 
and uh, his team's losing, but uh, it's just who cares? It's like a danger room training sequence where they get to show off their powers. Uh, Storm's going back to Kenya, where she's from, and uh, she doesn't have powers. I'm impressed. One of the things I kind of weirdly like is how long they've let Storm go without having powers. Like, it's a while. I mean, she comes back and takes charge of the team again without powers. Like, she's in charge of this team for a stretch without powers at some point, I know. It's a pretty gutsy decision. Yeah. I don't know how many years she went without powers, but it's more than a year, which uh, is just so crazy to me. I, I think that's sort of interesting. Um, yeah. Okay, so we get into a fight of... Yeah, basically, uh, uh, Proudstar, which I'm going to call him, even though I'm not 100% sure what he goes by, uh, has captured Banshee and taken him to this like missile base to lure the X-Men in to make them look like bad guys because they'll have to break into this like high security prison, not prison, uh, government facility. And they'll look like bad guys by doing that, but they don't really have a choice. They got to save their buddy. But at the same time, Empath, Empath and Roulette are there and they're trying to cause even more chaos. Like Roulette just sort of wants revenge. But like Empath and Roulette sort of want to cause... Thunderbird wants revenge. Thunderbird. Star. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, but but Empath and Roulette want to cause like chaos. Yeah, they're just sort of general um, bad guys. And Firestar's being manipulated to be in love with Empath. And so she's helping. And then also like, you know, Nightcrawler's in charge and he's not doing a great job. And like Rachel Summers, they ask her to help track somebody and she has PTSD from her time as a slave that tracked people. <laughs> but yeah. Understandable, but they don't know that. So they ask her that without realizing. Um, so it's the X-Men are not at their best. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty enjoyable battle for those reasons. Like it's pretty complicated and and I uh I enjoy it. Uh can we weirdly skip to the ending or is there more you want to go over in this issue? Uh I'm flipping through to see if there's anything else that I want to say. I think I said everything I wanted. Uh art is great. Yeah, we can talk about the ending. The ending is interesting because the X-Men win and they sort of forgive everybody. They forgive Thunderbird and they forgive Firestar. Yeah, well, it's also weird is Thunderbird and Firestar stay with the team they're on. They, they, they've realized now they're on the evil team and they're like, eh, we'll stick with it. Yeah, and the X-Men are like, okay, go go with God. Like, they just sort of let them go with that. They're like, all right, no hard feelings. I mean, I kind of get Thunderbird. Professor X feels guilty that Proudstar's older brother died under his command. Yeah, and, and Firestar was under the influence. So I get... Uh, of empath. Yes, I guess it makes sense. So. It makes sense to forgive them both, but it's also like them not joining the X-Men sort of feels weird. I think I'm glad because there's so many people just as yeah, a, of course. Yeah, I think so that's characters. why they don't, right? Yeah. But yes, it, within the within the continuity of the story, it's like, oh, so you're gonna oh, you're gonna stay on the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. <laughs> well, the Hellfire Club, right? It's not that we were saying brotherhood, but I think it's a, they're they're run by the Hellfire Club. Is that is that different than the Brotherhood? That is the, different. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is Mystique and Pyro and Blob, uh -huh. maybe Toad. And the Hellfire Club is Sebastian Shaw. So the Massachusetts school is under the Hellfire Club. That's right. Okay. Emma Frost is not a Brotherhood of Evil Mutant. She's a Hellfire okay. Club. She's the um, White Queen. I've been saying her on this whole episode. Thank you. We've for said a lot of things me. wrong. Um, I think we got most of them. Um, I, I get a name wrong every now and then. I just, not with the consistency of your Wolverine comments. That's the, my only saving grace. <laughs> a lot of these characters look like Wolverine. I don't think, I don't think I'm to be faulted for that. Um, I mean, our fans love it. So the Massachusetts 
Okay, so there's two basically evil, you know, anti-mutant organizations, the Hellfire Club, and then also out there, there's a Brotherhood of Evil Mutants that Rogue used to belong to, and they're out there somewhere too. Yes, that's right. Okay. They're more of a out-and-out evil group, like Masters of Evil, where the Hellfire Club is more of an Illuminati, pull the strings and, and manipulate people kind of group. I mean, they did hypnotize Jean Grey and like... Right, but that is not like... we're. That's not Magneto stealing nuclear missiles to flip at the earth, right? Yeah, yeah. That is like, we want to, we're like manipulating. Right, right. I'm um, not saying they're not evil. They're evil, but they're just a, they, a less direct punch in the face evil. And then uh, for the epilogue, we're doing a lot of like uh, teasing the next issue, which we didn't used to do in the X-Men. But at the epilogue of this, we see the robot Nimrod who's kind of like a RoboCop, I am programmed to defend the law, sort of uh, say that he's going to go after Juggernaut and the X-Men. Yeah, he's given himself like a little Dracula haircut. Dracula uh, or Harry gonna... Osborne, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Or even, he looks a little colossus with his metal skin. And he's just he's just sitting on the computer, sending emails. He's joining like, a, I guess at that time, like a bulletin board. Yeah, BBS. Yeah, yeah. News group. Um. So that's a tease of the next issue, which is going to be Nimrod versus X-Men and the Juggernaut. Yeah, one issue 194, which is another fun one. Really fun. I think I do tend to like these simpler contained ones better. Me too. Uh, I just, I don't need the million subplots. I yeah, do, I don't I think mean, Claremont's good at them. I mean, I think one of the reasons, not to keep going back to the Kulan Goth, so I didn't bother me as much because it was two issues. True. It was pretty contained. It wasn't a 12-issue brood story or even like a three or four-part Savage World story. I think that was like, maybe that wasn't three or four parts. So who knows? But uh, uh, yeah, one or two issues is great by me. So yeah, this is a fun one. Juggernaut's in town and uh, and then Nimrod attacks the Juggernaut and the X-Men sort of get in the middle. That's sort of the gist of this issue. We get some more Storm in Africa stuff. That's great. Yeah, that's really good. Storm kind of establishing herself as leader of her old village or wherever we're saying she's from. Um, and the I think one of the signature moments of this issue is that at one point Rogue has to absorb basically everybody's powers around her. And yes. she becomes like a super scroll, where she's got kind of all of the X-Men's abilities. And it's yeah, kind of she fun. looks it's really great. Fun. She looks great doing it. Um, yeah, it's fun. She's Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Kitty Pride, and Rogue. I mean, she doesn't really need Colossus. And she's super strong on her own. Yeah, but uh, being able to teleport and phase through things, that's a huge get. And maybe she got Wolverine's healing powers, too. Um, yeah, it's really cool to ha- that she could do that. I mean, for a while, her powers were sort of like she would accidentally do that, and now it's becoming like this is a power set that she can use to her advantage. And I think that's a fun turn for her character I love uh, kind it. of it's an really obvious exciting. one you would expect that to happen but it's great that it's happening i think it's really fun i that's i i often don't care about the battles but when rogue is like looks like both nightcrawler and colossus i'm down like it looks cool yeah i mean one of my favorite parts in um uh, uh like the x-men movies mm-hmm. is where like she to stop pyro from like shooting flame she like absorbs his power or to like when she gets hurt wolverine kisses her or hugs her or something so that she can heal yeah like that like when i love those moments and she doesn't have the carol danver powers but i just love those sequences where she's like 
Oh, she can kind of do anything if she's prepped for it. Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool power set. And I'm, I was upset they weren't, not upset, but I was wondering why they weren't using it. I wasn't upset. That'd be weird if I was like, Ugh. yeah. But uh, I like it. It's, it's more fun when they're using it in battles. Yeah. I, I sort of am less interested when she just has like her Carol Danver power set as her main thing. Yeah. Um, even though that's her status quo for a while. For a stretch there, she lost this in modern comics where she just had the absorbing powers. I think because of the movies didn't have this Carol Danvers set, but she's since gotten those powers back. Um, yeah. I think from Wonder Man, which is basically the same powers, uh, but she can fly and she's strong again. But there's something very fun to me. Like the absorbing powers is the fun thing. And the more she uses that, the more fun she is to me. But yeah, this is a really fun issue. Uh, Juggernaut at the end, like Nimrod leaves at the end and, uh, Juggernaut's like, are we fighting now? And they're like, no, you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> so Juggernaut also gets to leave. Yeah. There's a lot of just like shaking hands and going back to your corners at the end of X-Men stories. The X-Men hate capturing people. I mean, they're not the Avengers. What are they going to do? Are they going to take Juggernaut to jail? Yeah. And they're not trusted by the government or yeah. authority figures. So they are kind of limited. Um. You know, we are we're we're going to get out of these X stories pretty soon, but um, we are kind of leaving just as they are. John Romita Jr. I think is stabilizing Claremont to a large degree and making him like readable. Yeah, I don't know how much plotting John Romita Jr. was doing. Like we know Byrne did a lot, and I just don't know how much other guys did. But like, mm-hmm. based on like the ups and downs of this book, I feel like he was he was certainly. He's certainly just an A-list storyteller. There's no question. Even if the plots are all Claremont, uh, John Romita Jr. takes them to the next level, which then probably takes Claremont to the next level when he gets, sits down to like script over them. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Stanley working on a Steve Ditko book versus working on a Don Heck book. It's like, the Ditko book's going to be better. Sorry, Don Heck. I sort of think you were pretty good, but... Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ditko and Kirby were the guys next to you. Stand between Michael Jordan and Larry Bird. It doesn't matter if you're. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, you're you're going to get overshadowed a little bit. Uh, but um, all right. So should we take a break and then do some mail? Let's do it, Will Hines. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back. Will, how can people email us? Because we've got a couple more mailbag episodes coming up soon. So get your emails in now and maybe we'll answer them in the next batch. I don't know. We might have time to get through. We might get through everything if we Uh, don't get more. Uh, screwitcomics at gmail is how you contact us. You can also tweet at us at screwitcomics or go to our Instagram, screwitcomics, which I highly recommend. But if you want to be read, the best way is to email us because I forget about the other formats for when it comes time. Yeah, for if you're really intent on being part of the mailbags episode, then. Um, uh-huh. That said, that my said, first thing yeah. is going to be an Instagram comment that I'm going to oh, read. You're a hypocrite. Yep. Uh, just because we were just talking about Nimrod and the Nimrod name makes me laugh because it's silly. Yes. 
and we got a comment because I had made a, a joke about his silly name on our Instagram and someone posted, uh, this is every T-A-S-M ever. That's the amazing Spider-Man ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrote this. Fun fact, Nimrod was actually an Old Testament world-class hunter. But when Bugs Bunny sarcastically called Elmer Fudd Nimrod, it became a stupid insult from then on. Oh, I didn't I realize did, that. I didn't know that at all. I thought it always just meant like a buffoon. Right. But it doesn't make sense that Claremont would name this character buffoon. So he was just taking it probably from the biblical character, not thinking that it had sort of just been turned into, hey, you Nimrod. Nimrod. Yeah. It does sound like a great insult. And it sounds like a 40s one, too. It sounds like, keep your dime, you Nimrod. I mean, like, Bugs Bunny was right to turn that into an insult. He's a comedic genius. Uh, okay, let's read some emails, Will Hine. I would Will lo- Hine? Will Hine. Yeah, I'm the singular. Okay. I'm no longer royal. Uh, here's the first one. This is from Paul Fung. Uh, he writes, I th- this is a subject, is a three-word suggestion for improving the podcast. You ready for it, Will? I am. More <laughs> cold opens. Oh. You know what? I think he's right. I love doing the cold opens, but they're just, we forget. <laughs> Maybe we'll remember to do it for this episode. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if we did. There's I wonder no if we to... did. Right we don't now, know we right don't now. know. Yeah. Uh, but thank you. I do also like when we do cold opens. Um, here's an email from Zeke Norton about Wolverine 1 through 4. Uh, hey, Milk Sops, I thoroughly enjoyed your episode on the 1982 Wolverine miniseries. I was 12 when they came out, and I read them over and over again for the next eight years or so. And hadn't opened the book since then. It was fun to revisit Logan's trip to Japan and connect how much was mined for the Wolverine film. To this day, I still quote, I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do isn't very nice. Uh, I really like hanging out with you guys every week. And you've triggered fond memories of the comics that made me fall in love with the medium. I hope someday you expand your subject matter beyond 80s and 90s superhero books. I'd love to hear your takes on books from this century and those <laughs> outside the superhero genre. Uh, what do you think of Blocks Black Sod? I haven't read it. Okay, me either. Lone Wolf and Cub. I read the first book of it and I really enjoyed it. I read a little bit less than that, I think. Uh, Ed Brubaker's Fatal and Criminal. Love them. Love them both. Shaolin Cowboy. Never read it. It's beautiful, but sort of meaningless. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's by, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy who worked with Frank Miller on like uh, uh, the big robot one. The guy big, who just draws super details. Like Jeff guy, Darrow? No, yes, Jeff Darrow does Shaolin Cowboy. Yeah. So it's his art is just just outstandingly great. Yeah. But the comic is like a monk fighting like 2,000 zombies for like eight issues. And it's. Nothing changes, but it's still fun. Yeah. Uh, Ladies with Guns. Never heard of it. I don't know that. Yeah. It sounds familiar, but I can't place it. Uh, Mind Management. Love it. Okay. Is Hard Boiled the one that I'm thinking of with Jeff Darrow? Yes, yes, yes. That's the other one he did. Okay. But he also did one like Rusty and the Boy Robot or something. Big uh, Guy? Big Guy and Rusty the Boy. Yeah, something like that. Okay. There was this giant, like, uh, giant books. Uh, Promethea. Uh, loved Promethea. Love Promethea. Bone. We're huge fans of Bone. We sort of did an episode of Bone. We interviewed Jeff Smith, but we we didn't really we didn't really cover it. So we didn't cover Bone. We just talked about ben, Jeff Smith's love of uh, Neil, Neil Adams. Adams. Uh, Berlin. I, I Jason Lutz. Uh, I read Berlin. Or I, read, I, read, I think I read 
a portion of it. I think that's one that came out over years and I read yeah. like half of it. I think I read like a quarter of it. Um, and it's good, of course. Um, these are just a f- handful of the thousands of great comics that lured me away from Marvel. Uh, I appreciated your Sandman episodes and hope you move more in that direction towards other genres and future shows. Keep up the great work, Zeke. It's a great suggestion, uh, Zeke. Thank you. Um, yeah. And I also, I love this idea that like he read the Wolverine series eight or nine times. Like those are for early comics that you just read over and over and over again. There's no way to top those, man. Yeah. And in and, and that like level, like those they're other just, comics. They're just are, in your bones so much. Like you just love them so deeply. Nothing can get at that love. Yeah. I mean, that's why we talked about the Ditka Spider-Man first, because that was us for, we like read those so many times. It's just, yes. I can just know them inside and out. And I'm still thrilled to see them. Yeah. And I still enjoy them every time. Um, Here's an email from Taylor. It says the capitalism of Marvel. Hmm. Hi-ho, milksops. <laughs> First of all, I love you laugh every time someone calls us milksops. <laughs> it's just such a funny thing. <laughs> it's just such a silly. We didn't pick it. It like evolved over emails. Mm-hmm. It does make me laugh. Uh, First of all, I love the show and have been listening from the beginning. I began listening as a fan of the Heinz Brothers. Oh, look at that. Mm. And have since grown into a comic book lover. Thanks 100% to your show. Whoa. I tend to lean more dark horse and image. He loves it because of us, but he does not like our taste. Uh, I respect that. (laughs) Me too. But have grown to appreciate all that DC and Marvel have done for the world's imagination. With that said, I recently finished a book called Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe. What struck me, what struck out to me was the constant theme of Marvel being dead set on growth and winning once it got into the mid to late 70s. In fact, according to the book, in the early 90s, Marvel developed its own algorithm that was meant to analyze book sales and merchandising, and that algorithm would direct lots of books on who to kill, who to fight, page length of certain scenarios and crossover issues, just to name a few. Uh, Also, we learned that Marvel's slew of character crossover issues became a copyright and residuals tactic in order to increase sales and payments that the artists and writers should have been getting in the first place, even though many of those writers never wanted to do it. I understand it's a business first and foremost, but it kind of affected me to learn how corporate the man behind these scenes were, with a few major exceptions. Uh, I suppose my actual question is, does it affect your view of certain characters or storylines when you find out it may not have been one of the... That it... Sorry. Does it ever affect your view of certain characters or storylines when you find out it may have not been done with a story arc or creativity in mind, but instead profits for a few people at top? Thanks for the show, Taylor. Uh, I'll answer first, Kevin, then you can go. All right, I'll correct you. Um, great. I, I would love that. Uh, of course, it's a bummer to learn that great. something you It's not love, a bummer. It's great. Go on. <laughs> that something's being done just for marketing reasons or for craven uh, money-making schemes. Uh, but really – the end justifies the means, and sometimes it leads to good things. The original Secret Wars was a stupid request from a toy company, and then Jim Shooter wrote it just to satisfy that. But I really – I think the Secret Wars worked and was fun, um, and so I think that's okay. Uh, you know, um, I didn't read the Transformers comics, but that was a toy first, and I feel like there was some good stuff there. Kevin will correct me on that. Um, so you know, it. But on the other hand, I feel like I've always heard that the success of the MCU, which originally could not include the X Men, led to a de-emphasis of the X books in the company, 
that feels inauthentic and like a lost opportunity for properties that had been quite good on the comic book front. I don't like that. Um, but I guess I'm just going to say the end justifies the means. It doesn't really matter how the idea is born. If you execute it well, I'm going to like it. Uh, Kevin? Yeah. I mean, it, the problem is it's not a one-to-one -one thing, right? It's like some things that are just done for business reasons are bad. And it's obvious that's what's happening there and they couldn't overcome that. And so it's like, yeah, that's crappy. That's stupid. This is just a thing to make money. And then other things uh, are done for money and like are just great anyway. And then some things are not done for money, but are great. And so it's like they kind of do all those things. Like Will said, Secret Wars is a fun comic. Yeah. Uh, Transformers, I don't know if it was good. I didn't read it. But both Transformers and Star Wars were comics, I think, that kept Marvel afloat during lean times. But also, those two and G.I. Joe uh, brought in tons of new readers to Marvel Comics. That wasn't their goal, but it was just sort of like kids were like watching these cartoons and started buying the comics and then started buying Spider-Man and X-Men and then probably went on to read Sandman and, uh, uh, you know, Swamp Thing and Zot and, and, and Criminal or whatever. Like a ton of people. That's how they got into comics. And in that sense, I think it's great to get introduced to an art form through a commercial of it right like yeah if if you love movies you're not going to say like oh the the pinnacle of film was avengers infinity war right you're gonna be like that was a great movie but that's not like the best movie ever made but if that's your first movie that hooked you and then eventually you're watching like really cool arty films thank god for infinity war you might not have gotten there yeah i'll i'll Right. I mean, you can say that about any blockbuster. Titanic yeah. is probably not in anybody's top five movies ever, but it's one of the most successful top grossing movies ever and is really, really good. And is a, you know, and I'm sure that there's a ton of film lovers whose first favorite movie is Titanic. And what's wrong with yeah. that? Nothing. And probably filmmakers who started yeah. like with a, with a, you know, my favorite movie was The Creature of the Black Lagoon, and I became a great filmmaker or whatever. So that stuff happens, too, and think that's worth appreciating. I also think Marvel's capitalism comes in waves, right? I mean, Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and all those characters were created under capitalism. Martin Goodman wanted his own superheroes because they were popular. Right. Justice League is a big hit. It's a bigger hit than my monster books. Let's do superheroes. And then like Stanley and Jack Kirby just did better superheroes than Martin Goodman even needed. He, Martin Goodman didn't deserve to have those guys making great comics, but he did. And those comics were legitimately great. And I think as Marvel went on, there was different people in charge at different times, different bean counters, as it were. And like the 90s were a particularly bad time for Marvel. Like they were going bankrupt and they were just owned by people who were just trying to turn a profit or sell stocks or sell the company. Uh, we talked a little bit about that, I think, when we had um, Brett White, uh, Brett White, but also uh, um, Jordan White, the X-Men no, editor. No, no, our pal from UCB. Uh, when we talked about the when, first time we talked about the X-Men, when we talked to uh, Jesse Falcon. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we talked about Jesse Falcon. He talked a lot about that, like because he yeah. works for the toy companies and stuff. Yes. And it's like, you know, Marvel just went through a stretch where it was all about like and Tom. uh Brevroot uh, uh, talks about that, right? Like he talks about in his blog sometimes, it's like, yeah, this was a tough time to be at Marvel where lots of people got laid off because it was just about turning a profit. And, you know, and then when Joe Casada took over, um, 
then Bob Harris was in charge. Like it was changing by that point. It was like better leadership. Yes, they wanted to make money, but they also wanted to make good books. They were like, this is the way to make more money is to make quality books. And then Disney bought it and they're largely left alone. And you know, crossovers and things like that are still important. And some of them are bad. And some of them are good. Some of them come out for story reasons. And some of them come out because it's that time of year. The, the part of the capitalism aspect of comics that bums me out is that the creators don't profit off of these things. Like that's the part that bums me out. Like I'm actually not so dismayed if it's like, you know, the editor in chief calls in Dan Slott and is like, give me more uh, Spider-Verse or whatever. Yeah. That that could be all right. But if it's like, oh, and by the way, you, you know, Spider-Verse, the movie made this much money. You don't get any of it. That bums me out. It's like, that movie doesn't exist without slot. Spider-Man doesn't exist without Steve Ditko. And, and that's the yes. part of it that has always, there is no excuse for it morally. Yeah. A little bit in the comics world itself. Like I think there's is that you get more money when you sell more numbers. I think that's a thing that's existed since Jim Shooter, I assume is still around. So if you do a big hit crossover, the creators who worked on that at least get a little bit extra money that's than they great. would if they that's were great. doing a smaller book. That was the thing Shooter initiated. Like John Byrne has often said he got more money from issue one of Alpha Flight than almost any other book he did because of like profit sharing. And it was his name that sold that book. He deserved that money. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. And and it's, but it's, it's when yeah. that stuff isn't present that that bums me in a lot more than story decisions. But also, and I think Marvel does this and most well-run artistic places, I think do this well. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. But like a lot of times there's like these crash, crass commercialization things, but a little bit, those also help exist, help let the little things exist. Like sometimes those art things don't exist if you don't have this big blockbuster. So if you don't have Spider-Man coming out three times a month, maybe you can't do and take the risk of an immortal Hulk that ends up being a big hit. But like, yes, it's sort of a weirder book or Squirrel Girl, which is just for kids and like was also a hit, but like they wouldn't have tried that. Yeah. If Squirrel Girl needed to be a big hit, they just wouldn't do a Squirrel Girl comic. They would just do more Spider-Man comics and more Wolverine comics. So they can do both those things because they have the Wolverine and Spider-Man and Ghost Riders or whatever. Ghost yeah, Riders is not popular now, but um, and maybe like another good example is Silk versus Spider-Gwen. Like they want to have a female character in the Spider-Verse, so they kind of make Silk and she's all right, but it doesn't totally catch like they want, maybe. And then Spider-Gwen falls out of the Spider-Verse and is a hit that nobody saw coming. But does that mean that Silk was like a bad idea to try? I don't know. Like the good stories persist and the bad stories kind of fade away. So they don't really, the bad stories don't hurt. I'm not saying that Silk is a bad story, but the less successful ones, they don't hurt so much. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm all right with it. And sometimes commercialization does good things. Like I think Silk came also out of, uh, I think part of it is Dan Slott was always kind of pressed to like create new characters, but also whether he was pressed for this part of it or other people pressed him, it was like, well, make sure they're also not white men. Yeah, it sounds too like many a... of those. And so Silk is not that. And like that they create more and more characters like that. And, you know, they're not all going to be Miss Marvel, but you're not going to find Miss Marvel if you're not trying to do that. Yeah, exactly. And that's also so... to make a buck, right? They're like, oh, there's, an audience for these things. Yeah. So I'm I'm down for experimentation, even if it comes from the marketing boys. Yeah. I, I think if anything, it's just like you can go too far with it. Like exactly anything. in moderation. You, you could also go too far with not trying to sell to the public. Right. Yeah. If you just 100% are like, we're going to ignore the sales entirely. Well, that's not fair. The people who are keeping the lights on that your yeah. audience is speaking to you to, through what they buy. Yeah. 
Um, so I think like it's another you know, it's another milksop hot take. We're saying right down the middle. <laughs> uh, what are we doing for time, Will? We're at an hour. What do you want? How many more do you want? Ten more. Ten more. I mean, we really took a long time on the last one. This could be a long <laughs> podcast. Uh, this is from Sean from PA. Uh, that stands for production assistant. Will. So he's from Hmm. Production Assistant. I'm not sure that's right, but all right. Uh, The subject is Modern Censorship Line. Greetings, milksops. (laughs) Been loving the show, and I've been going back and forth listening to everything, but I won't burden you with questions from five-year-old Epps. Uh, Good, because you won't hear these for five years. Uh, (laughs) I do have one question. I (laughs) I do have one question that maybe you can answer. I was reading the new Sabretooth run that ties into the current X-Men arc. Oh, asking us about modern comics that Will doesn't read, and I don't think well, I, I read, I read this House one. of X and Powers of X. So I know about Saber and Immortal Hulk, so I saw Sabretooth in that. So you know Sabretooth and Immortal Hulk? Yeah, right. He's like, I don't know who you're thinking of. Are you thinking of uh, Sasquatch? Sasquatch? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sabretooth is uh, a Wolverine character. Will oh, shoot. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> if you're gonna call a character Wolverine, Sabretooth is the one. Oh, boy. Uh, I was reading the new Sabretooth run that ties into the current X-Men arc and am perplexed by what they need to censor compared to what they don't. In the first issue, Sabretooth is being forced to relive dramatic moments in his life and grows tired of the ruse and exclaims, enough of this uh, uh, windings, basically, you know, at sign, dollar sign, pound sign. And the next panel is brutally and graphically decapitate someone in the vision. (laughs) So I'm wondering, what are the modern rules for censorship in comics? It is too far for someone to read the word shit and seeing the inner workings of the human spinal column. Uh, no, it's too far for someone to hear the word shit, but seeing the inner workings of the human spinal column, it's fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not advocating for more censorship. I'm just confused by the dichotomy. Love the show with all the love. Sean from production assistance. <laughs> um. I mean, you know, this is a bigger question than is our podcast. You're talking about the morals of society. I mean, yeah. it, it it's totally true. Like we, America, at least, and maybe the world, but definitely America, is weirdly puritanical about lang about cuss words, and also about sex, yeah. and then weirdly permissive about violence. Yes. And I, it doesn't make sense. It feels like those are intimate adult things. Um, that they should kind of go hand in hand. And really, profanity is probably the least concern because if you're worried about kids, kids hear the profanity. Um, I mean, thankfully, I don't think they're necessarily being exposed to graphic sexual acts or acts of violence, but like profanity is probably the least of your concerns if you're just trying to like, and certainly the S word is like, I don't know, nothing these days. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. There, It is hypocritical and strange, but that's that's, that's more than just the X-Men comics. This is kind of all media. Like you can go onto network television and see pretty brutal acts of violence, either implied or sometimes shown, but swear words are almost eliminated and nudity is just, you know, really guarded against. So I don't know that that's a hypocrisy bigger than comic books. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with R rated movies versus PG like swear words get you to R rated faster than violence. It's strange. But like, but like a glimpse of a nipple and you're also getting up to R rated. I mean, it's also like, that was the thing with South Park, right? They they put as many swear words as they could put in there before they got to X-rated. It's sort of insane that swear words could ever get you to X-rated. Yeah. It's like, like once you get over a certain amount, it's like, 
does it mean anything to have two more? Yeah, exactly. But, like that was sort of their mentality on that that movie. Um, so yeah, it's 100% true. I will say this though. Uh, I'm going to drop the dad card again. I'm not going to acknowledge it. Uh, I don't love swears in my comic books. I don't love also, I don't even like censored swears. Like, I don't like when they throw yeah. these like wingdings and stuff where it's like, oh, what are they saying there? It's like, you might as well put the swear word if you're going to do that. I'd rather have guys with like fake curses, you know, like, uh, um, blammed. What the heck? Or yeah, oh, yeah, blammed, like they used to say in Spider Man comics all the time. I like that more weirdly. Um, it's easier to read those to my six year old son. Um, I also don't love extreme violence. The current Spider Man run, which I think is excellent, Will Hines. Ooh. I think it is a really good run right now by Zeb Wells, uh, comedian uh, uh, and funny comic book writer. He's doing a current run on Spider-Man that is really, really good, in my opinion. Uh, John Romita Jr. is on art, and he is killing it. Ooh, nice. But it is violent. There's a lot of blood. And there was some moment where Spider-Man said, mother bleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forget what... what uh, um, I forget what the context was, but it was like a funny joke moment. And I was like, oh, I kind of wish um, I kind of wish he didn't make that. I think this moment was funny enough without a swear in it. I don't think that made it funnier to me. And it does just make it like harder for me to read this comic to my son. If there was it's weird, like you watch these sometimes these PG-13 movies and people like get their throat slit and fall on the ground, but there's no blood. Yeah. And it's like, what's going Why is there no blood? Yeah. But I'm like, oh, it won't bother my son. <laughs> like I, it, it, there is a part of me now that I'm like, I'd rather show my son the thing with no blood, even if it doesn't make sense for certain yeah. things, you know, for certain products. Right, and right. Spider-Man is one of those products that I'm like, I don't need all the blood and I don't need swears in my Spider-Man comics. Yeah. Sabretooth is maybe a different story. I don't care about that as much, but like, yeah, but maybe it matters. Maybe if it's a Punisher comic or if it's right. like a family friendly character. Yeah. So what you're saying is all true, but there's a part of me that is like, uh, and then the dichotomy is 100% true, but I'm like, ah, I, I want less violence and no swears uh, and no sex. I would hate it if like, there was nudity in my Spider-Man comics. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. And like, also, like, there can be comics with nudity and violence and stuff right. like that. But right. Just the not Spider-Man comics. So I don't know. Uh, I guess my answer is right down the middle. Right down the middle. Another, another Milksop's hot take. <laughs> right down the middle. Hey, uh, by the way, I listened to a Jimmy Linguini podcast episode. Should we talk about that now or next time? Yeah, let's end on that. Okay. So I listened to... Um, so this is to, to recap people who only listen to random episodes of our podcast. We got a review of our podcast where someone was talking about Jimmy Linguini and our references to... It was describing a drinking game about Jimmy Linguini and his references to CBS and things like that, uh, none of which are true about our podcast, which we talked about on the podcast, which inspired people to give us reviews referring to Jimmy Laguini or pasta in general uh, and very funny reviews about our podcast. Um, and then finally, a reader wrote in uh, saying what he believes is where the real Jimmy Laguini podcast. And now Will has downloaded and listened to an episode. Yeah, so this is called the Unpressable Defects podcast, and it's about guys who like buy and sell comics like they're stocks. They're like, they're like trying to buy comics when they come out, hoping that they'll go up in value and they sell them. Uh, it's, uh, the episode I listened to had three guys: Jimmy Linguini, and then two other guys. <laughs> is that a real uh, name? No, can't no. be. And um, they're all nicknames. It was like Jimmy Linguini, AJ, and like 
T Max or something like that. I forget. I forget what they T-Max were. T Max was probably a real name, though. Or no, Ultim- Ultimatum. I forget. But um, <laughs> they they were having like pretty sincere talks just about what books came out. What do we think is going to go up in value? Have you sold anything? Have you bought anything? And one of them had like gone around to comic book conventions and was like, "I did real good. I got like a Batman." 20 i got that for second appearance of the joker you know and i'm looking to turn that sell that right now and i was like well this isn't what i'm into but like they seem pretty legit into it and i suppose if you 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 are into that this this isn't a bad one um sort of a funny thing about them getting mixed up with us is they're they're very like guy they're very like tough guy yeah. busting so each like, other like us like us <laughs> yeah very alpha male very just like busting each other's chops a lot you know, like, yeah. I don't even know, you know how to read or whatever, but they're not so good at having a sense of humor about that. Like if one guy goes, I don't, I'm not sure if you know how to read the guy's like, yeah, well, you know, I can't anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sad. Um, yeah. Why are you bringing that up on the podcast, <laughs> man? And then they are very like careful about, so they'll talk about what books should be worth more. And sometimes that means what's the story. Is it going to be a good comic? Sometimes it's like, oh, there's a movie coming out with this character. That might mean its value goes up or, or, oh, there's a special cover. But a lot of times it's just like, is it a good comic? And one of the guys clearly like just never reads comics. Like it's like, well, there's a Black Widow or a Black Canary story or blah, blah, blah. And then the guy's like, I'm, I, don't, I don't read Black Canary. I'm not, I'm not familiar with the story. I don't know that. And like just refuses to even entertain the possibility that that's a factor. And it is funny. It's like, well, were you surprised to be asked about the plot of the comic? Um, I don't know. At first, I was sort of like, this really isn't for me. But by the end of it, I was like, yeah, it definitely has its charm. Again, if that's a subject you're in, they stopped doing this in 2019, it seems. There's no new <laughs> but like that, it was just that. Three guys like, what'd you buy this month? What are you thinking about, or this week? What are you thinking about getting? Let's talk about it. Very like, business stock guys but about comics no irony did they do any of the things that were mentioned in our review i didn't hear anybody mention cbs but there was tons of i don't know that let me look that up pause 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 uh which is oh, that's which one was of the, another thing referenced in our review yeah that's right no pasta was mentioned other than that the guy's name is jimmy linguini sure yeah yeah i don't know it was funny are you gonna listen to more yeah i'm hooked <laughs> It is also funny to buy a comic book and like be surprised that the story matters. It's like that's part of it. I know, I know. It'd be like uh, buying baseball cards and being like, "Is he a good baseball player?" I don't watch the game. Who's Mike got, Trout? It's like we well, gotta at least know who these players are. Pause one second, Kevin. My I gotta fix my power cord. Is this gonna make it to the podcast? I don't know. I'm just about to wrap up. Probably won't be in the podcast but i wonder if one will listen to this are you listening to this now well if so let me know that you listen to me mutter into the microphone this is will hines as i'm editing speaking into the laptop microphone saying that i did hear this muttering and i'm leaving it in and what happened was my computer as we were recording was almost out of juice i didn't have a power cord handy i ran into the other room and got one and my brother kept talking while i was doing it and in yet another effort to make this podcast as inaccessible as possible. I'm leaving it all in. You're back. You're doing something. You can see your shadow. You can see your arm. I heard a beep. You're getting your headphones going on. 
back. You're back. So um, I don't know. It, it was really funny to to listen to it. And I don't want to speak ill of somebody else's podcast. It's definitely not for me, but it seemed like a good one if that's your subject that you're into. It is they, funny they, we got confused with it. It's very funny to get us mixed up. I think they would also, those guys would also be very amused to think of us as being yeah. mixed up with them. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, we missed last week. Sorry about that, folks. But we're here this week. And next week, hopefully we won't miss. And mm -hmm. that will be covering the next three issues of Uncanny X-Men. So 95, 96, 97. That's right. One, so, 195, 196, 197, to be yeah. clear. Yeah. So um, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next episode. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics.